have an intro planned this time. Does anybody want to take intro duty? So much pressure at such an unexpected moment. Hey, I've got an idea for a fun intro slash team building exercise. Uh -uh. So here's the way it's going to work. I'm going to say the first word of the intro, and then Rick's going to say the second word, and then Toast is going to say the third word, and we're just going to keep going in order, adding one word until we have an introduction. I like and it. And you don't get to veto. So here we go. Welcome. Dickheads. <laughs> To the 14th episode of the How Long To Be podcast. That's fucking cheating, though. I don't. <laughs> How Long To Be four words, and this is already. This is pretty fucking hard. stupid. Hey, look, <laughs> on, on the website, it's there are no spaces between the four words because you don't get spaces in a URL. Well, but I mean, even if you look at the website, <laughs> hold on, hold on. I have it pulled up right here. Uh, let's see. On the front to how long to beat? There are no spaces there. So I, mean, I technically there are spaces. I mean, like <laughs> the very tiny, tiny spaces. What's the what's the right, proper word for that? It's like space. uh, the space no, no, no. It's there's a word for it. It's like the spacing between words and letters and stuff. There's like an actual noun for it. It's like kerning, I think. Is that right? Kerning. Oh, oh, yeah, kerning. Kerning. Yeah, this the space between letters and uh, yeah. I zoned out a little bit. I actually I know entirely what you're talking about. I took a typography class. Hey. Huh. No doggies don't work too much. I've missed the dogs. They added something. They added a uh, je ne sais quoi to the podcast. Yeah, and it's really weird because all of the dogs working in all of our episodes have been different. They've been different dogs. <laughs> every single time. Well, not every single time, but like the vast majority, I'll look back at episodes and I'll be like, those aren't my dogs. Those, those, are, <laughs> those are dogs. We should just instead name our episodes after the names of the dogs that are barking. If it's always a different dog. Who, what, what is the name of the dog barking today? That was probably Riley. Alright, so this episode will be called Riley. Riley's a piece of shit and won't stop barking ever because he thinks he's a great dog, but really he's just some part. That's a long title. Yeah. But we'll work with it. <laughs> we'll we'll uh, initialize it. We'll just take the first letters and make an acronym or something. That's going to be a disgusting acronym. <laughs> It's going to be gross. It's going to be like a Welsh town. <laughs> so, <Yes>! thanks, <laughs> so thanks for tuning into our video game podcast, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to deliver you that sweet ludonarrative dissonance you've all been asking for. I just picked a random video game buzzword and threw it in there. Yeah, and we never talk about anything besides video games, ever. Yeah. And we always stay completely on topic yeah. at all times. Yeah, yeah. We're already doing great. We're already about four minutes in and have not mentioned the name of a single video game. You you, you mentioned vernacular, so that's good. A plus for effort. 
Welcome to the How Long to Vernacular podcast. Yeah. How Long to Speak podcast. And boy, can we speak for a while. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So uh, now that we've indulged ourselves plenty, uh, this episode, uh, we are slumming it up hardcore. We're going to do our best to provide some semblance of entertainment for you. Uh, We're going to go ahead with our recently beat currently playing, which is going to be a little bit dire, I can tell you in advance. We're going to talk a little bit about the game of the month, which is The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. We're going to move on to host segments. The S there is in parentheses, unsure if there will be more than one or not. And then we will answer some questions from the podcast, also parentheses there. We're uh, really improvising it here today. So without further ado, uh, let's begin with recently beat currently playing. Should I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead first no. this time because, as a matter of fact, I have not beaten anything in the uh, past few weeks since we last recorded, uh, which is uh, odd for me—a rare occurrence, shall we say? Um, it's not for lack of trying. I have begun and retired a couple of games. If anybody saw my post in the forums, I've retired Valkyria Chronicles 4 and Red Dead Redemption 2 in the past couple of weeks. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, um, I explained in the forums a little bit about why I retired Valkyria Chronicles. It's mostly just because I was getting to a point where I would sit down for like an evening of playing and I would spend like three hours and I would either only beat like one battle or I would like try the battle several times and just keep failing. And it didn't feel like I was making any progress at all. So I, I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I enjoyed playing the game, but there's just so much else riding on my shoulders right now that I didn't enjoy using my time when it felt like I was just kind of banging my head against a wall. I was going to ask about that because I was wondering um, why it was so slow progress for you, whether it's um, a difficulty thing, whether there's a lot of new systems to get your head around, how different it is from the originals, which I thought were fairly well paced. But obviously, I haven't played the newest one. So I think that the pacing is pretty okay. I mean, you're looking at, I'd say, about an hour for most battles. Some of them can go a little bit longer if they have, like, multiple phases or something, which several of them do in this game. After you complete one objective, it'll just instantly, like, transport all of your soldiers somewhere else and give you a new objective. Yeah. Um, So that definitely can lengthen things. And then... If you die, does it sort of send you right back to the first phase? It depends on if you save... Because kind of like the first Valkyria Chronicles, you can save wherever you are during your turn, um, which, of course, has high risk, high reward. If you save at the beginning of one turn, um, then you might be locked into a no-win situation if your units are in bad placement, uh, which happened a couple of times. So I think it's... It's not terribly different from how, let's say, the first game, which is my only real exposure, but I'm at very different places in my life. I'm at a very different place now than I was when I played the first one. The first one, I think I played it in my undergrad, 
And I think it was like towards the end of my final semester where I had like nothing going on. So I could devote as much time as I wanted to. Whereas right now I have very little time (laughs) that is not otherwise devoted towards lesson planning or grading or stuff like that. So with all of that kind of riding on me, and it's just like the balance of the difficulty, which has, I feel, always been kind of an issue with Valkyria Chronicles, Mm -hmm. where you never know if you're going into a mission where it's just get your scout to run straight to the final base on one turn and seize it and you're done, A+. Or if you're going to get one of those missions where it's like survive for 10 rounds as we send 20 tanks against you and your tiny soldiers. And that was the last mission that I was on before I finally retired it. So, yeah. And then Red Dead was just kind of boring. And I'm sure it would probably, I'm sure it picks up eventually, but I put maybe three or four hours into it and it was just so slow going that again, I just didn't want to wait around on the promise that it might get better. Is the balance on that one skewed as much on traveling from point to point as it seems? Because it looks like you spend so much time just pushing in a direction on your horse. Uh, Red Dead? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I didn't make it much further than, like, the tutorial chapter. Mm-hmm. It's a very long tutorial chapter, though. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I've seen, like, what I see on Twitter and YouTube of it, it seems like there's fun parts to it. But I've also heard from a lot of both reviewers and just you know, random people have played the game that it is just kind of a slow game and that it just takes long to do things. And I, I, I can deal with that. I have dealt with that before, but just not into it right now. Hmm. So moving... Oh, go ahead. Me, I was just going to say, I asked because it's what's held me off jumping in. Um, quite a few of my friends are playing it and loving it but they're the kind of people who sort of buy the latest FIFA and Call of Duty and they're happy sort of playing um, the classics, if you will. So for them, it's amazing. They just dip in and out. And I did suspect, same with sort of Mother Rule, more recent GTAs, that kind of existing in the world and, and moving realistically slowly just wouldn't quite work. So it's, it's interesting to see that's the experience you have had with it but i don't know i mean it clearly does work for many people i mean otherwise it just wouldn't be doing as well as it is doing and it's selling gangbusters it's sold yeah. more than the original red dead redemption is sold in its lifetime in its first week or something stupid like that i was hearing the other day yeah just not my cup of tea at the moment mm-hmm. but i might return to it someday I have a brother-in-law who is kind of obsessed with that franchise, so I'm sure that he's probably going to want to play it when he comes for Christmas or something. So maybe I'll give it another do si Anyway, um, I'm currently playing... Uh, I still have Ace Attorney Trials and Tribulations. I still haven't started the last case on that, so it's just kind of like sitting in my currently playing tab but I haven't actually played it for a couple of months. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of 
waiting until the semester ends, and then I'll get through that last case. Um, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which has, I think, been on my currently playing since we began the podcast a year ago. Uh, and I'm still, you know, putting in work on it. Uh, in the past couple of weeks, I've done almost all of the, what is it, the the Champions Ballad DLC. <coughs> so I'm at, like, the Champions Ballad DLC, it's like an extra short campaign thing. Oh, okay. uh, they're like, and it's the most difficult of all the DLC. Yeah, that. What I remember. Yeah, the the shrines are pretty insanely difficult. Okay. Um, there's like sixteen new shrines, and they're all pretty robust shrines, as opposed to like some of the ones in the base game, which are just you go in and you walk to the end and you get your spirit orb or whatever. Uh, these all actually have like full, well thought out puzzles that are very challenging to complete. Um, there are more challenging versions of the bosses, and where I am right now, it's like the final dungeon, so to speak. It's like a mini dungeon, like most of the game's mini dungeons, but yeah. yeah. So, been doing that, picking up Korok seeds wherever I, you know, get the little mask to shake, telling me that there's one nearby. So, still having fun with it, uh, doing side quests here and there. It will probably continue to be on my recently, not recently, uh, currently playing for maybe another year. Oh, but geez. means I'm at least getting mileage out of it, so there's that. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I am playing the Spyro Trilogy Remaster, Reignited, oh, which so I, I love. I love Spyro. I love that original trilogy. And I love what they've done with the remaster, especially uh, the first Spyro game has never been my favorite. It's just kind of like the one I play to get to two and three. But some of the additions they made, uh, the dragons that you rescue all have new designs and they're actually like characters now. They're not just, you know, base polygons that say thanks for saving me and then they disappear. So there's that. Um, and then, I mean, not a lot has changed in terms of gameplay. It's pretty faithful to the original. Um, I guess my only complaint is that the art is a little bit inconsistent, uh, between like certain levels and certain characters. So some of the more cartoony looking characters from the original trilogy were updated to look more like actual humans and animals and stuff. And I kind of prefer the more cartoony looking ones. I don't know, uh, Toast, do you remember Handel and Greta? The, like, ninja kids? The, like, spy ninja oh, kids? Yeah, I do remember them, but I don't know what they look like now. They just, in the original games, they just kind of looked like circular-headed, goofy, muppety kids. But now, yeah. in the remaster, they actually look like human children. Like, cartoony human children, but like human children. And it was jarring to see that Is it change. Uncanny Valley shit? It's not entirely Uncanny Valley, because it's not like they're meant to look realistic. realistic. Okay. But they have 
they're shaped like people, whereas before they were just shaped like cartoons. Yeah. It's kind of weird because the art style, I would say, is more action figure as, like, a theme. Like, uh-huh. everything looks like a toy. Like, you could pick it up and play with it. Yeah. And maybe they will ultimately <laughs> release action figures of all the dragons or something and make bank that way. That but... was so full circle. Because it was Spyro that started that whole shit up. The Skylander stuff? Yeah, that would be so weird. <laughs> Now that Spyro is not even associated with Skylanders anymore. Yeah, they dropped him like... Well, it's because they they ruined them. They they made him look incredibly (laughs) ugly. And nobody wants to play with something that disgusting looking. Like, no child wants that in their house. That nasty little Spyro. It's just funny, I don't have a strong opinion on them. It's just funny how angry that makes you. (laughs) I mean, Rick, have you seen how gross Skylander Spyro looks? It's very bad. No, let me let me ask yeah. my mate. Give it a go- yes, he definitely- standard of coolness is Rick. Yeah. Or what my sense of humor is, I don't know. Anyway, that's <laughs> that's me. That's all. I guess technically, I've also been playing Hyrule Warriors for Switch, um, which is like my third replay of that game. Uh, I don't really have anything to say because it's just mashing the Y button while I listen yeah. to podcasts in the background. Which is sort of why I hated that game when I gave it a go. I did have it on on New 3DS. And I think I played the first mission and a half. And I did feel like I was playing the video game equivalent of watching paint dry. Which, horses for courses, I guess, if that's what you enjoy. And is the Switch version just sort of a port with prettier graphics, or if they added anything to it. I think they added maybe a couple of things to the adventure mode, some new maps or something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which ones though. They might have added something else, but I think it's just a an improved version of the 3DS one. Fair. Nothing that would fix the game. <laughs> Why fix what ain't broken, Rick? <laughs> we'll agree to disagree. I think. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that's me. Toast, you want to go? Uh, okay. You're the only one who's actually finished stuff, right? So it didn't freeze super far back, but we did miss almost all of Toast's part. We can play anything. <laughs> I was in all of all of Toast's sort of deep playing thing. Well, give the fun. give the Cliff Notes version. Yeah, I don't even remember what I was playing. <laughs> you said it was Disgaea Five. Disgaea, yeah, Disgaea Five, Dark Souls Remastered, uh, Fantasy Life, uh, Mario and Luigi, Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, Rune Factory. And yeah, Rune Factory, and I'm still trying to get through all of the stupid games that I played um, earlier. Like, Fallout 3 is very close to being done. And, uh, he, like, the visual novel I'm playing is very close to being done. You'll beat Fallout 3 just in time to get onto Fallout 76, the game that everyone's loving. 
I've played Fallout 3 before. I just like you, every once in a while you need like a refresher. So. Sure. I mean, my dig wasn't aimed at Fallout 3. Yeah. It was well, aimed I mean, at your yeah. inability to complete Fallout 3. It, it well, and it was either. aimed at the travesty that is apparently 76. Even though I, ha- I don't know it, so I can't, like, I don't, I didn't buy it, so I can't really say. But it looks bad, not very good. <laughs> Bethesda can't make a competently running offline game. Whoever <laughs> thought that they could add netcode to the mix and it would be dandy was a I really idea. wish, like, sorry, they would just I... leave things to Obsidian mm. and just back off. Didn't Obsidian just get bought? It did. Yes, by Microsoft. So I don't think that's an option, but ideally that's what I would have liked. Obsidian's in a weird place anyway, because a couple of key staff have left, including like the the people who worked. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's like Looking Glass or uh, the team that made Chrono Trigger. You're not, you know, you can't just go back to the same place a decade later and find the magic still there. Unfortunately. Well, like, ideally, like, two years ago, they would have uh, worked with Obsidian. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if they could have made anything with Netcode either, necessarily, because they don't have any experience in that regard. Well, it was not a good idea. Like, they could have just made anything else and thought about it. Do you know what? I actually think it's a pretty good concept. Yeah. In someone's hands who can actually do a half-decent job of it. (laughs) You know, if you had Rockstar Games making a post-apocalyptic version of the stuff they're doing. I think I would give that a chance, genuinely. Because I, I think, think they would be overpriced, though. Of Sorry? If Rockstar makes everything really, really overpriced, though. I think that's Take-Two's fault, but... Ooh, I said I'd give it a go. I didn't say I'd, like, buy every shark card. <laughs> but, I mean, like, Bethesda... I mean, yeah, they they have made very messy offline games, which does put their online cred into question. But, I mean, messy Elder Scrolls Online turned out to be pretty okay after okay. an expansion after or two. In- yeah, I was going to say after its initial failure, because it was really awful to start. Oh, yeah, absolutely it was. But, I mean, after an expansion or two, then it became pretty solid. And I think part of that was that they were trying to do something different than what they were doing in the core series games. And I think that, I mean, obviously I can't talk too much about Fallout 76 without having played it. It just seems like they were trying to have their cake and eat it too, in terms of giving you that single player experience in an online capacity. And I just don't think they thought through all the logistics there. It begs another question, though, and I suppose you could you could ask a similar question of Destiny 2, say, which is, should you as a developer put something in your consumer's hands and charge money for it and charge DLC for it and charge everything else for it when really it's not going to be good for another 12 months? And I suppose you could say yes, because people lap it up. And although Destiny 2 hasn't done what Activision wanted, and I'm sure Fallout 76 won't do what Bethesda want with all the press it's getting. They still do very, very well, and they still sell loads, and I bet they'll do very well out of the DLC from them. It doesn't make me feel very good as a consumer, but equally I don't buy those games, so I'm not really yeah. the target market. Um, I'm still 
as we'll get onto shortly, catching up on sort of six or seven year old indies. But we'll uh, we'll get back to that. Um, did you mention all the games? Toast? Yeah. I feel like there was one you didn't. Okay. So, um, as we were saying before the audio cut out, I, in an update from last episode, am going to play Euphoria. I've downloaded it. I've got it installed. Toth pulled a face at me when I said it before, <laughs> and she's very, very scared that it's going to not leave a good impression with me. But we'll see. Oh, no, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what happens to you. I'm picturing, like you on the webcam when you show up to record the next episode and you'll just be like completely pale you'll have gone bald or something you'll have like a scar over one eye sunken eyes dribbling out of one corner of my mouth there's worse (laughs) ones definitely so it's not that bad it's just like it's not something i would recommend with like annoying you're suddenly a hunchback or something how (laughs) fuck you toast (laughs) (laughs) um so I have retired two games in the past few weeks. The first one is Jalopy for PC, which I really wanted to like. I love the idea of having this shitty little car and having to, to keep it ticking over while you go from place to place around the Soviet Union. I replayed the opening figure and the save like an oiled up trolley, which would be fine. You know, in, in some sense, that might be realistic to those kinds of cars and how they ran, except that means you're hitting barriers all the time which means your engine's not going to last, which means you're not going to have any money to do anything or even probably get to your destination. So it's frustrating. It doesn't really work as a thing. And, uh, yeah, I ended up giving on that. The second one... Well, I mean, worth mentioning that, I mean, Froppy will never hoppy your floppy until you sloppy her toppy, then moppy the gloppy from your loppy jalopy. And we have our second contender <laughs> for episode title. Yeah, I think that might be the winner. <laughs> That's just a meme. Don't don't name it after a meme. Contender number three. It's the like title Froppy of the episode. Wins. It's from what? Sorry. Bokuro. It's from Bokuro. Probably. Maybe I am a normie. <laughs> I've got a yeah, you're that a fucking normie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just cooler than you, God. Anyway, uh, the second one I retired was SBK Snowboard Kids DS. Now, this is a weird one because it's a really good snowboarding game. Except the problem is that the game modes are all races. Oh, I thought you were going to say racist. Yeah, it's all about white power with all that snow and shit. Those racist snowboarding kids. (laughs) Snowboard KK kids. Oh no! <laughs> oh dear, I might but, edit that out. But can you imagine? Can you imagine like picking up like a like a random kids game, like extremely goofy skateboarding or something, and <laughs> realistic cross burning? <laughs> yeah, you're halfway through the game. <laughs> And suddenly there's a level where, like, your ultimate goal is to deny the Holocaust or something. <laughs> Jesus. I'm just picturing someone actually snowboarding in a clan hood. A gust of breeze, that thing turns around and you're... <laughs> so... But what it a... It su- doesn't work on any level. What a surprise that would be. Because, I mean... <laughs> At that point, you almost have to wonder, like, 
did the the developers know that nobody was going to buy this game? So they just kind of like our uh, kind of like our sound checks and your <laughs> horrible, inhumane statements during the sound checks. Nobody's gonna hear them. Fuck it, let's see what we can get away with. Jesus. And what they couldn't get away with, and this is why I retired it, yes, that was a segue, is <laughs> that it tries to be Mario Kart. And it's so frustrating because the snowboarding's really, really good. Like the actual motion, pulling the stunts, the graphics, all amazing. But the items are unbalanced as fuck. There's some serious rubber banding going on for the CPUs, but not for you. So, like, when you're ahead, oh, they'll be right on your ass, but you fall even slightly behind, and you're either restarting the late race or finishing third at best out of four. The other problem is, as well as items pick up, gives you a recharging shot. And what you find is either when you're in fourth and trying to move up to third, or you're in first and the second's behind you. They keep spamming that shot. It's nigh on impossible for you to build up any momentum. And that's without sort of the random chance of a green shell in Mario Kart, or if you get a red shell or an item that can lock. And so the races are so stop-start, and it just doesn't end up being fun, which for the third time is a shame because snowboarding actually feels really, really nice. It, it just doesn't work as a package. Um, which was sad, but looks like I make a profit on it on eBay. So every cloud. Uh, <laughs> in terms of what I've beaten, uh, there are one, two, five, seven games. So wow. I am, I am sort of picking up my slack. Yeah, carrying the team. Um, the first of those is Pokemon Picross for the 3DS. I don't like the business model, and it's taken me about seven months of grinding. The freemium currency to beat it, but I've sort of beaten the main campaign. That's insane. Uh, yeah, the thing is, it's like two minutes every morning for the daily challenge when I'm in, when I'm waking up before I'm going to wherever I'm going, and then I just forget about it. I and mean, it's actually been quite nice for that in a perverse way. Um, Pokemon all look good. As a pit cross, it works. Um, so yeah, I no regrets on that one. Um, I beat Pyre for PC, which is uh, the latest of Super Giants games, one which Toast criminally retired and refunded. <laughs> um, and to be fair, the early game is quite odd. Um, I had some problems with Steam Controller support in that I just couldn't make it happen. Um, so I ended up playing with mouse and keyboard, which I think I would have liked analog control for the players a little bit more. And the default bindings aren't very nice. but once you get your head around the set and, and you start to sort of get into the story as a package, I think it's phenomenal. And I'll probably go back to it and replay it at some point because I really, really did enjoy it. Um, can't think that there's any other game like it in terms of how it blends fantasy, a weird sort of party gaming version of three-on-three basketball. And visual novel-esque story. Uh, it's just such a unique, beautiful package. The music, as always, from Darren Court is top-notch. Um, actually, weirdly enough, was listening to the music for about six months before I actually got around to starting. So feeling 
been, but it's all generally going to be on sale three or four pounds if I look. Um, from, I also replayed Souls. Yeah, it's been a recommendation gushed about. <laughs> it's, it's such relaxing experience. I can't recommend it highly enough. Said that. Um, I played Kirby again. Uh, it's such a weird one because the good moments when it all comes together are really, really good. And you can see why they wanted to do what they did. Um, so for those of you that don't know, it's one of the more experimental Kirby games. Rather than having one Kirby uh, that you move sort of side to side with conventional, you have 10 little Kirbys that you guide in a general direction with. A... And that's sort of the problem. It's very imprecise. It's nothing like a Pikmin or... Uh, an overlord or an RTS like that, you have very little fine control of the individual Kirby's. Um, there's some workarounds, but they're very good. And so the game only really gets good when it, from a game design perspective, allows for that and it plays fast and loose with things and gives you a lot of freedom and time and space to do what it's asking you to do. But there are a lot of times when it doesn't and it expects things from you, which quite frankly, you struggle to do with those controls consistently or accurately and so the game is really a long series of peaks and troughs and on balance it's good um you know I'm, I'm happy i played it i didn't not like it but i wouldn't play it again i don't think i can recommend it either and that's a problem you know that was I- that was remarkably accurate to uh the way you did it the first two times <laughs> practice makes perfect uh, <laughs> so it I get, record this time? it is recording it is still recording so we at least made it through Kirby Mass Attack yay I feel like uh, I should explain because most of it was cut out previously but my laptop uh, is having difficulty running discord and my recording software at the same time so it cut off Rick twice while he was recording his monologue about Kirby Mass Attack. I so, think this uh, is the universe telling us we need that GoFundMe we talked about. Not only to get <laughs> me a Switch, also to get you a laptop that can run things. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, pay and make make it a Mac so that I can get like GarageBand and Logic on there. That would be nice. And then you can expect some sweet, sweet tunes. <clears throat> that's the, yeah, that's the deal. Yeah, I'll crank out some sick medleys, some chip tunes or whatever. Donkey Kong rap. Ah! Fuck. <laughs> That's hey. the deal. When we buy Kirfi's new laptop, he'll record in GarageBand. A beautiful <laughs> rendition of Donkey Kong whatever the fuck it's called rap. It'll be like, um, have you guys ever heard... Um, uh, do you guys know the musician Beck? Probably. He's pretty yeah. famous. Vaguely. I know him from sound shapes level. So he did a cover of David Bowie's Sound and Vision, which is I like, don't know that. I don't know, it's like a two and a half, three minute song or something, but it's just pretty mellow um, and easy, listenable, and all of that. But he turned it into like this 10 minute orchestral extravaganza uh there were like 200 musicians or something 
There was somebody blowing on like an oboe. There was a yodeler present. There was a gospel choir in addition to like electric guitars and like chimes and all that stuff. It was (laughs) the excess of it was just so impressive in its own right. But that's that's how I picture I'm going to do this DK rap is I'm just going to go way overboard with it. Make it a 20 minute piece. Go hard or go home, I say. (laughs) Incorporate elements of like kraut rock, drone rock. This is either going to be the greatest thing ever or the worst. (laughs) I don't think there's any question which way it's going to go. Let's be honest. Oh dear. I do like it though. I am looking forward to it. Let's say. Um, so yeah, the next thing I made <laughs> was there, there's no good way to segue out of that really. <laughs> Not really. And if you can't find a segue, no one can. I, that's very true. I am, apart from being the glue that holds this podcast together, I didn't get the opportunity to remind everyone. I am also the segue king. I don't know if anyone realised that, but it is true. So, yeah, there you go. Um, so what else? <laughs> Next thing I beat was Valhalla, VA11A. Um, if you're still interested, Toast, it's very, very like I am still interested. Really, really good. Super highly recommend. I think it's very you in terms of what it does as a game as well. Because um, the story's amazing. Uh, the art's really, really nice. Um, the main characters are all very, very sassy. <laughs> Some would say dickheads. I wouldn't. Uh... <laughs> but you did. No, I didn't. That's a lie. Go back to the recording. <clears throat> I did not say any such thing. <laughs> and everyone will vouch for me. So, jokes aside, the characters are all believable i think that's the most important thing like you feel like a part of that world and you really empathize with the people within it and it just does everything right also there's a hidden shoot 'em up game sort of late in the game that's really really fun as well just f1 but yeah i i could keep gushing about it but it, it it's great doesn't outstay its welcome definitely gonna go back and play it again at some point um loved it really 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 loved it um Kurth, I've got a shock for you. I've beaten Phoenix right. <gasps> yeah. What? Because like, last time you were just starting the second case, right? I, I just finished the tutorial case, yeah. So I, uh, I am proud of you. That's <laughs> an entire rest of the game in these two weeks. To be clear, uh, the DS-specific case I'm in the middle of. So I've, I've completed uh, Rise from all the, of ashes. the cases that were in the GBA game. So three turnabout cases. Um, which, it was weird because the writing is equal parts phenomenal and has more holes than a Swiss cheese. It, as someone who loves, like, legal dramas and things like that, the amount of things that... And I get <clears throat> it's a stupid Japanese drama. I get that it's not supposed to be accurate. When the prosecution's going, you can examine this witness, 
But if you can't find anything, then you have to admit that your client's guilty. That's not how it fucking works. Well, and one thing you do have to realize is that the universe that is being created within Ace Attorney is meant to be very different than our universe. Different, yes. Utter bullshit, no. <laughs> no. And the, the, and I don't want to give a negative impression of the game, because, it's it again, it is really, on a macro level, really well written and a really good time. But there were so many little moments in the story where I just had to sort of lock my phone on which I was playing it, put the phone down for a minute, and just do something else to get over, like, how seethingly angry I was at the stupid shit. <laughs> Um, it was just too silly for me. It's definitely campy. Definitely campy. And you can tell that it was a Game Boy Advance. Um, if for no other reason than by the time you get to the last one, suddenly it lets you start like examining evidence in 3D. Like it just starts throwing new things at you. Um, almost for the sake of them, actually. That thing, that aspect of it's annoying me. But it's good fun. I don't know if I'd recommend any of the other ports because I don't know anything about them, but they're pretty good. It's very, it's very, very emulator friendly. And I think if it had been in a console, I don't think I would have gotten through it nearly as quickly or had nearly as much fun. <laughs> nearly honestly, as quickly. It, it's a great downtime game. Um, you know, on, on a commute, on the toilet, at work, you know, wherever you've got sort of two or three minutes and you idly sitting or standing or whatever you're doing because all of the controls are sort of press this big button in the center of the touchscreen to advance the tech it it's really easy just to, to pick through that's another criticism i had of it though it has some very frustrating logic in the investigation so um for those of you in the audience that haven't played it, the game is split into two parts um, and they alternate sort of A, B, A, B. So there are the trial parts, which is sort of the, the point of the game and where the game really truly shines. And there are the investigation parts. Play a little bit like an old adventure game in that you have to pick up items, find aspects of scenery that are relevant and sort of place item A at object B, present object D to character E, uh, to advance the investigation and move to the next trial. And it's not that those parts are bad per se. I just don't think a lot of it is signposted very well. And it can be quite frustrating some, I thought. But, it, you know, it doesn't detract from the game. The game's very good. Um, and two things that I noticed that I wanted to sort of bring up. The first one is that Shinji Mikami was the executive producer on the game, which that's a, a very weird one on his resume. <laughs> uh, and the second thing is that I think this game has the best end credit sequence that I've sort of experienced in a long time. Um, it's not really spoilery. Um, interjected between the credits, it goes back to like all the characters that you've seen so far in the game. And has them sort of talking about Phoenix Wright or what they've been doing, almost like they're talking to a news reporter. And there are so many little sort of referential backwards jokes and digs and gags. And it was just really, really fun, which you can't know about a credit sequence. So that was nice. And the final game beat was a game called Rochard PC. 
Um, it is a 2D puzzle platform, which I would tentatively recommend. Um, the story is the biggest load of bollocks I've ever read. It somehow combines Native Americans, space people, Las Vegas on an asteroid, and black holes, and somehow manages to make them sound even less cohesive than they already sound when together. <laughs> um, and it's a weird one, because I think they were going for a so bad, good sort of B-movie schlocky thing. And some of the gags land, but story-wise, it sort of goes past so bad it's good and heads straight back. And, and I didn't like it. I just don't think it ever ends well when a creator is trying to create a so bad it's good feeling. Um, rare. Yeah. I wouldn't say never, because I think House of the Dead over, for example. Uh, and, and they were clearly aiming for that thing. Or Tarantino's... Uh, not Tarantino, sorry. Um, what was that? The double header, where it has the lady with the machine gun for a leg. Oh, um, Grindhouse? That's the one. I thought they were pretty good. Uh, it, it can be done. It's much harder than it probably is. And it's very easy to fuck it up. I think that's the problem. And they but I feel like there's... There's a... I feel like there is somewhat of a difference with those instances, because they're more like affectionate parodies of specific things. So, I mean, House of the Dead overkill could you know make fun of house of the dead um and the grindhouse films were just making fun of exploitation movies whereas i think what was being described a second ago just trying to make something that is just generally so bad that it's good if there's no like guiding principle or thesis behind it then like you were saying, it just feels like it can be incohesive or incoherent. Do you know what? I think you've changed your mind on my mind on that, actually. Once in a lifetime. Oh, <laughs> no, do you know what? As I always say, when I'm wrong, when I've been convinced that there's a better answer, I will openly admit it. It just doesn't very often happen. <laughs> Easy. Um, but I don't have a segue for this one either um, <laughs> the game is good the game isn't very long which the older I get and the less time I have uh, you know, the more I see that in the right circumstances is a very good thing um, it has a lot of ideas as well which it, it spreads out very well and, and I think handles quite well as well. There are a couple that I think it leaves a little too late in the game. You to fully appreciate them, we'll do all that much with. But on the whole, I think it, it, it's well paced and it, it plays well. Um, the two main mechanics that it utilises are um, a low gravity mode that you can toggle um, once you've activated it in each area, um, which opens up various sort of platforming moves type things as well as a gravity gun ripoff called the g lifter 
Um, and when you combine the two together, it gives you various options, both for combat and for traversal and gives you some well-balanced puzzles, I think, to to encourage you to make the most use out of those mechanics. Um, and there's enough challenge to engage you without sort of stumping you. I very rarely got stuck in it, but I always felt like I was doing a smart thing to work out what I was supposed to do, which I think is the hallmark of, of a good puzzle in any kind of genre. Ultimately, it was okay. It, it didn't sort of rock my world or anything, but I enjoyed it all the way through. And if you're looking for that kind of game, I think it's it's definitely good enough to scratch that itch. So that's everything I, by extension, we have beaten. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so in terms of what I'm going to go at the minute, other than the last case for Phoenix Wright, which obviously I've already talked uh, there are four games, one of which is going to come up a little bit later in conversation, uh, but the other three, in fact, two of which are. So, and that will give us a nice segue, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, I'm playing the first two are Near Automata for PS4. Classic. It's great. Really, really good. Uh, it's sort of been on the back burner for me. There's been quite a few other things that I've been bouncing in and out of, but it feels so fluid. The controls are intuitive. Um, the story's very easy to follow so far. And it's just lovely generally. So it's been really nice just sort of enjoy at a slower pace. Um, and the other game that I want to talk about now is Resistance 4 for PS3, which was recommended to me on the forums a few months getting round to. It definitely shows its age a little bit. Yeah, it sure does. Especially in terms of the controls. My first three or four minutes with the game were spent rebinding everything to make it feel remotely viable. It it was in that weird sort of PS2, PS3 bridge era before sort of Call of Duty type controls became the zeitgeist. And um, Melee was mapped to a Facebook and zooming your camera was mapped to, to give you two sort of quick examples of how outdated the controls were. But you can be rebound them, and once you rebound them, it, it feels... And so far, you know, I'm, I'm only maybe 60, 90 minutes in, but so far it's pretty good. Um, the enemies, I wouldn't say feel smart, but do offer a challenge. There's a, a good variety in terms of the levels and what it asks you, things like so I, I have a pretty positive view of it so far, actually. Excuse me. And I bought Resistance 2 and 3 the other day, so I think I'll, I'll probably be low-key cracking the series bit by bit, which I've had a bit of a weird journey with Resistance because I played the PSP game. I want to... Oh, I can't remember what the subtitle for it is. Resistance PSP. And I thought it was the best shooter, behind second best maybe behind Peace War, on the system, because it played very smart with the controller limitations, right? trying to make you aim precisely. It gave you a auto aim square, and you moved that square around with the face button, and then once you were sort of within targeting range of an enemy, then it would lock to it. 
And oh, that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, it, it worked really nicely. The auto-targeting was smart. Uh, the gameplay was all made in such a way that it, it sort of complemented the game. It, it was actually a really smart move for the developer to make it work that way. Um, so I loved that. I also have already beaten the Vita game, which I think is what's actually called Retribute. Which was okay. When it when it launched, it got a I don't know whether there were patches between the reviews and when I got wrecked, but I thought it was an okay, if fairly bomb shooter, especially from the Vita, which was sort of crying out for that kind of game. And I enjoyed Pier Tan Kills and Mercerath. Wonderful on that system. Um, so I've, I've sort of played them the wrong way around, but I have finally got all of the games. And before long, I think I'll have played all of them. So, yeah. And then the third of the four games that I'm playing, and this will segue us into what we'll talk about, is the game of the month, Ocarina of Time, which I'm playing on the 3DS. Why? And um, I like it so far. I don't love it. I don't think it is the goat that rose-tinted glasses might have some people. And, and to, be, to be fair, in the comments on that thread, people have been fairly even-handed saying that it's good, you can see why it was but in hindsight having played the games that have come after it's not that How far are you? Say, um, I'm only at Death Mountain, I'm not very far Okay, it gets better Yeah, I'm hoping once so you, <laughs> Once you become an adult it gains a lot of steam that. <laughs> and as soon as they start introducing like Sheik more as like a character, it starts getting like another layer to it. Sure, sure. Um, it definitely feels slow to start. Um, I the first because I this is my third attempt at playing it. I tried it once on an emulator. I didn't stick with it mainly down to the quality of the emulation at the time I tried it, and then I did try the 3DS version one because I was borrowing my brother's console and I didn't sort of play it very much. I got really frustrated in the field, which I'm sure was impressive at the time, but now it's just an empty space as far as I'm concerned. Um, but on this playthrough, I've got the Ocarina song that allows you to turn it straight to daytime. So I'm not bothered so much by the... Um, the skull enemies, they've got a name. Skulltulas? Oh, wait, no, no not Skulltulas. The Stalthos? That's the one, Stalthos. Um, Skulltulas are the spiders, yeah. Yeah. Um, which, there's a side quest that I started for them, which is really, really weird. Because um, I've, I've come, obviously, there's the gold one. Went into the room um, in Kakariko Village where all Skulltulas are living and cursed. That was a trip. Because I was playing quite late at night and it was dark and I was just talking to this fucking tarantula with a skull on its back <laughs> that was trippy um it's clearly got a lot of good ideas i think the port is is done very well it it feels like they've given it a lot of quality of life updated <clears throat> in a lot of good ways my one frustration and i know this is something they fixed in majora's mask to make me annoyed that they patched it in is the fact that you can't use the uh the nipple on the new 3ds to control the camera the camera is not very good in that game, even on the. And 
and they had the means of fixing it and it makes me very annoyed but it's not enough to ruin the game so there's that well, not only that but playing the going from the original to that one honestly like it was so much better than the original but i really? don't even have any complaints about it because it was just so much better it was that bad on the on the end it was very bad huh yeah really bad I might just be like a little bit of a purist here, but I uh, I like the 3DS version and I like what it did for, you know, improving the controls and all of that. But and you know what, maybe it's not so much purism, but I I don't think that I liked the transition to handheld and I kind of wish that we had an equal remaster for like switch or something for example because i would be fine with that because i just i think that so much of it yeah there's like the emptiness of hyrule field and everything but i think there's so much majesty to it in a sense that you do miss out on quite a bit when it's on so small a screen in front of you but i think it does also gain a lot because, and this might just be me, because I know that I'm maybe unrepresentative in how much I quite enjoy the 3D functionality. But I think the 3D really adds a lot to that game. Yeah, I mean, I guess it tells me it's just well, me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I've gone on record, I don't play games with the 3D on. But, I, I mean, I think there's a trade-off either way. Um, you gain some, you lose some. And for me, I think... I mean, again, I love the 3DS version. I played it two times back-to-back when I played it. I played the normal mode, and I played the master mode immediately afterwards. Um, But it wasn't quite the same as when I've played it, either on N64 or on my GameCube edition uh, in the past, where having it... Do you think it is just the fact that it shrunk down and, and you feel you lose a sense of scale? Yeah, I think so. For me, okay. at least. And out of curiosity, what does the Master Quest change? I know it flips the map. Besides that. Everything's harder. Yeah, so oh, y- you take more damage from enemies. Uh, lots of the dungeons are reorganized, I guess, for lack of a better word. There are different... Like, the rooms are the same. And the layout of the rooms is the same, but like the order that you go to them in and the puzzles that you have to solve to get through them are very different. And oh, okay. in some places, honestly, a little bit stupid. But um, but it does make for a great time if you, like me, have played Ocarina of Time more than ten times and you know everything so well in the base game that it's kind of just autopilot to play it anymore. So playing the master mode gives it something new and fresh. Yeah, definitely not my kind of thing, but, you know, no harm in including it. I, um, slightly off topic, I tend not to give much time to that kind of a mode because I feel like if I want to play the game again I want to play the game again 
not like a, a bastardized, um, super hard, only elite gamers mode. But again, just me. I mean, I I see what you're saying there. Um, but I think that, I don't know, again, there was that whole thread that went up in the forums recently that was talking about replays, and I think it was Tiamat who was asking the question of why do people even bother to replay games? Um, Mm -hmm. And I, you know, had a very long response to it that I won't reproduce here, but I mean, I've asked that question myself, like, why do I replay like even Ocarina of Time or Super Mario 64? They're probably my, other than the Hobbit, which I replayed because of speed runs, they're probably my most played games. And in fairness, like every time I play them, it is the same thing over and over again. And to an extent, I have enough muscle memory that it's not like there's nothing new that they can offer me. Wow. I like when there are those kinds of, I don't even know what the word for it is, different versions of the same campaign. Um just to give it more of a reason for me to replay it because I mean, master mode kind of does two things at once. One, it makes it more difficult Two, it gives you different puzzles. I think that if it just gave you different puzzles, wasn't necessarily more difficult. I'd also be fine with that. I'd maybe enjoy that more, but I, I see what you're saying about just increasing the difficulty, but I think there is some real merit to having a bonus or modified campaign in games. Yeah. It made a lot more sense back when it came out. Uh, like it's, I, I don't think Master Mode really has any place now, but when it came out, um, like people had to wait a long time for Zelda. Like, when it came out. Not, like, the next Zelda, but this was, like, the first one that had been released on a console of, like, this caliber in a while. So people were, like, ecstatic playing more of this game, which was why Master Quest was a thing. It was to tide you over. Hmm. And, and maybe it was sort of a, a different type of thing for that example. I mean, yeah. it's interesting because... In terms of the, the replay stuff, I actually agreed with what you said um, in that thread curve. And I think it more comes down to, to how often you're replaying the game. So, like, um, you know, to use a recent example for me, Soul Bubbles, I hadn't played that game in two or three years. So it was nice to come back to because I knew I was going to like it. But I actually didn't really remember anything about it. And so it was sort of a rediscovery of things. It was like, oh, hey, that thing, that was neat. Stuff like that. Whereas I think if you are playing a game, so close to the previous play, you can actually remember a lot. Of um, that, for me at least, is probably a sign that it's too early to play that game again. But, you know, different strokes for different folks. Again, you know, it's extra content in my book is not a bad thing. Um, you know, if it's there and someone wants to play it, then that's fantastic. I haven't got a being there. Yeah, just to give our token shout out to Dongan Rumpa. Um... I don't even I don't even know when I'm going to be able to play those games again. <laughs> um, I mean, I guess it goes like doubly so for mystery games like that when you know everything that you know all the twists, so it can't really surprise you anymore. 
Although I have been talking to my friend about, he's never played the series, so maybe playing it through with him. And I feel like I might enjoy that just for the sense of getting to watch someone experience those twists and to just kind of enjoy their reaction to it vicariously. I think it'd be pretty dope if you could have some kind of compressed mini interactive novel version of those games. Where it's like, I want to relive the story. I don't want to do all the puzzles again. <laughs> Can we? I'm genuinely, I think, I think that'd be amazing. Obviously, you play it through the first time. It'd be a bit of a pain because you know that shit is ending up on the internet a solid 10 seconds after the game drops. But <laughs> if you're the kind of person that would watch that instead of playing the game, you were never going to play the game in, in my mind. And I think it'd be a really cool thing to include. It has um, an anime. It does, but the anime sucks. sucks. <laughs> Do you know what, though? I watched, I watched for the, the first game, I actually watched the anime before I ever played the game. Um, Why? It, because I didn't think I was ever going to play the game. Um, and then I got a Vita and I played the game. But coming I watched the anime two years or so before I played the game. So I remembered the first person that died. I remembered um, a key piece of information about, um, is it Kyoko, the, the amnesiac who's an ultimate something very important? Yes. Game. Yeah. Um, I, I, I remembered sort of the secret about her, um, but I forgot who, who killed the first character, even though I remembered that that person died and, and remembered that they tried to frame it on a specific person. Um, I'd forgotten um, the um, the plot twist about Chihiro. I'd forgotten um, the the motivation and the things around the ultimate despair. Although, funnily enough, the moment they happened, I was like, "Oh shit! I remember that happened," <laughs> which was the most awesome sort of deja vu mindfuck going, and and was really really cool. But, you know, in that sense, I don't think having experienced that story a couple of years prior in any way diminish my experience the second time. Um, all right, well, maybe I'll see if my friend can give it a go. Maybe he's forgotten all that same stuff. What are your memories of Arena of Toast? Uh, Ocarina of Toast? Ocarina of Toast. I have replayed it a few times. Um, I like it. I do kind of agree with the sense of that, like, maybe we should chill it on, like, the accolades. Even though I think that they are, in fact, deserved, I think that, like, you know, there's other games that are probably could use some nice words right about now, and I don't think Ocarina needs them all the time. What would you give the plaudits to instead? What What are those games you have in mind? Windbreaker. Say that again. Windbreaker. Oh, that's fair. Um, Do you know what though? I I did like that game. I feel like the touchscreen boat controls were a bit much, and they totally overdid that aspect of it. Sort of ruined it. Well, that wasn't in the original. (laughs) (laughs) I preferred the sequel where they had a train. That's because you have no class or sophistication. All right, so is that all we have to say about 
Ocarina of Time? Yeah. Okay. So next up we have host segments. Yeah. So let's start with what you've all been waiting for. Let's be honest. <laughs> and that that is this episode's recommendations. And there are two this episode. Um, the first one's just a quick one. Uh, if you haven't realised already, the final season of House of Cards flicks. And boy, is it a doozy. Um, it's a weird one because obviously if you know anything about the actors who are in that uh, show, you'll know that the main actor is gone. Like completely. Kevin Spacey? Yeah. Um, He's gone? Yeah, so yeah. After, after the allegations came out and he tried to deflect them um, by saying that he was living as a gay man, which... is not a good defence. No, it did lead to some spicy memes, so <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful to him for that. My favourite is still, uh, why is Kevin Spacey no good at hide and seek? Because he always comes out at the... <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> I know, but it's weird because they axed him in the final series. They'd already shot some stuff. Because of the way the, the show was going, it, it sort of worked okay. They were action anyway. But what's weird is that because he's not there, the whole season is sort of about why he's not there. <laughs> but that's not a criticism. I think it's a really... It gives them so many opportunities to sort of explore the new lead through that lens. And it, it gives new dimensions to characters that they'd sort of exhausted the arcs of. So I, it's a really good way of closing out the show. If you were concerned about the upheaval, don't be, because they've nailed it, in my opinion. All and right. if you aren't already watching it, then what the fuck are you doing? Like that, that's your job. That's your homework for the weekend. Like <laughs> start getting caught up on it. Um, so yeah, that's the first one. And the second one, this is the game that I referred to playing, and that is the Swapper, which is hasn't that been a recommendation before? Yeah, I don't think so. If it has, I make the rules in this segment. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it is a claymation indie puzzler. Note to self: I need to make a list of all recommendations so we don't be doing this. Um, <laughs> it's a claymation indie puzzler beautiful setting great puzzles um, I played it first on PC where it's a great I'm now playing it on Vita where it's definitely a different experience but it's almost great in a different way so I think you get more of the claymation and I couldn't tell you what but whereas on PC you sort of or I sort of forgot how unique the design process of the game was and just enjoyed the game for um, On Vita, weirdly, with that small screen so close to my face, I've noticed so many details about the world, about what's going on. Um, this time I've got the audio cramped way up, realising just how awesome the soundtrack is for that game. Um, especially if anyone's going to it, when you're in the crew court, there's a piano. Um, it's not a solo, but the piano's the vocal instrument um, and the track there is just so arresting it's a great game it's really really good and unless you're getting the limited run physical like I did it's dirt cheap um, so do yourself a favour and get that unless you've bought unless you've not bought 
dead ball, in which case, get that first, <laughs> then get this. And then, you know, Christmas will have come early for you. That, that's the reality of it. So those are the recommendations. Are you guys going to keep up this facade and the segment together? Toast, do you have anything? Uh... What's fresh out of the toaster this time? Or for that matter, what's hot out of the toaster? Uh, you know... Or for that matter, since... what's not out of the you know, since What's still in the toaster? To begin <laughs> with, I'm going to recommend American Beauty. Because I just really, like, we watched it. I really, 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 really enjoy it. American Beauty, did you say? It's a bit... Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I love that movie. I think it's really good. Okay. I just watched it, so... Everybody else can too. And <laughs> um, just know that your views of it may have a, have changed depending on how you um, see. What's it about? Because I, I know the name, but I've never um, seen or heard anything about it besides the name. It's about dissatisfaction um, in life and like your. Like, there's a lot of different subplots to it. Um, I guess the main thing that people remember is Kevin Spacey's lusting, lusting after a minor in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, but that's not necessarily what it's about. Topical. More... <laughs> yes, topical. That's yeah. That's why I mentioned it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just—I feel like it's aged pretty well, and it's pretty relevant now. Hmm. Okay. Interesting side note. I don't know if any of you saw it. The film that he'd finished recording just before the allegation and which made a pitiful Oh! Amount. The uh, Millionaire of Boris, The Boys Club? Great film. Actually. Really? Yeah. And he's only in it for about 10 minutes total screen time. And the last two minutes of that are, spoiler alert, him getting brutally shot to death. Oh, God. So it, it, it's probably actually quite cathartic for anyone who is angry with him after what they've read in the papers. <laughs> um, and he's great in it, for what it's worth, but the film's not about him, really, much. It's a good film. It's got the guy out of Kingsman in. Um, it's got a few other actors that you'll recognise. It's really good. And it, it's very sad that that film has That's been yeah yeah it's been so so horrifically damaged by something in which it had little to no involvement but uh say la vie i guess i've heard they're absolutely like because like the, the cast they're so disappointed because he like ruined like yeah i i would be as well it's, it's I, yeah real, i'd be really mad it's a real achievement as a film it's based on real life events and um, it makes what could have been a very, very boring story about sort of finance and things like that very, very interesting. Um, there are so many stand-up. It's, it, it's just really good. I can't... It almost, if I'd remembered it, could have been a recommendation in its own right. It's a really Well, good... I mean, it basically is at this point. Oh, well. Recommendation creature triple feature. You lucky, <laughs> lucky listeners. Before we get a fourth one, I'll just go ahead and say something. So uh, 
I've been sitting here thinking, grading on a curve. What could I possibly say for grading on a curve? And in keeping with the, you know, theme of grading on a curve, which is taking something that is maybe a little bit underrated and uh, amplifying it or sending it up somehow. And uh, I don't have, like, a specific thing in mind because I did not prepare that far ahead of time. Oh, no. But... Uh. On a very general level, I think something that is underrated that deserves more appreciation and respect is your public library listener. And I Definitely. mean this I mean this very genuinely, even though I'm saying it yeah. in my ironic voice. Like I I just enjoy libraries so much. They Amen are such wellsprings of not only information, I mean, of course, the nonfiction you can gather through, you know, the books that they have, textual, textbooks, whatever, but you can also get, you know, fiction books, you can get comics at a lot of libraries, you can get music, DVDs. I, uh, my public library up in Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia, um, they have a huge selection of audiobooks that I have barely even scratched the surface of over the past four or five years. Um, and I am consistently getting great things from them. They're also just so good at, you know, having outreach events and taking care of the community, giving opportunities to underserved populations. So I, I have a question. Yeah. Um, in Virginia, do they do the thing where if you request a book at your library, they'll ship it from any other library in the state to where you live? I have not used that before, but I know that there is a form you can fill out for it. I don't know how good they are necessarily at honoring those requests, but libraries my are goodness. magical places. Yeah, if you can do it, because um, like my my. In Michigan, you can go online, ship a book, and then they'll deliver it to your library. If you can make use of that, uh, listeners do. It is amazing. Yeah. It is a lifesaver. Um, also, as an additional thought uh, connected to the thing about libraries, I got this app recently that's called Libby. and Oh, real good. Yeah, Libby. So you can basically sign up using any library cards that you have. Just use oh, your that the ebook thing. It's not just ebooks. Um, you can also get audiobooks on there too. Um, but if you sign into your public library with your account number or whatever, then it'll give you just this massive expanse of books. That you can check out either as ebooks or audiobooks. Um, I've lived in a couple of different places and I've had library cards in a couple of different places. Some of them are still active. So if you have multiple library cards, then it just expands your uh, your reach of information that much further. So. Anyway, that that's all <laughs> I wanted to say is just that I wanted to share my appreciation of libraries because they do an amazing service for anybody. Amen to that. And fuck you, that's recommendation number. <laughs> you can't <laughs> steal it. I'm not. I'm sharing it. That is the purpose of life. 
Share and share alike. Yeah. The creative commons. Can't argue with that, can you? All right. So <laughs> let's let's get out of here before we get a fifth recommendation. Definitely. So we had a question. Well, we had a couple of quick questions proposed by Nalb on the forums, and I think we agreed we were going to synthesize the first two into one question that we could answer collectively. Um, we did. Just- I closed out of my browser to save uh, to save some CPU space on my computer. Does well, anybody I've, else I've have got, the? Yeah, I've I've got the question up. Oh, all the questions. And just before we jump in, uh, now yes, you are alone. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, so the, the other two questions: Which game world would you like to live in? Which game world would you? So I think we'll maybe open that up into a sort of wider discussion about game world and what we think of them. Um, and I'd just like to start it off by saying, if there was a world where we could drive rocket-powered battle cars in a game <laughs> similar to football, I would be all about that. All That's, right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I should have expected anything different. No. Honestly, I'm really drawn to most of like the fantasy harvest moon type games. So I would definitely live in like Rune Factory. Like I can't think of any of the specific places. Um I think one of them was like Valdus, maybe, I don't know. But or um Rever- uh, Reveria, which is in fantasy life, I would live there. Don't you think it would be much less exciting than that? do the mundane things physically that you're doing in those games. Like, Rune Factory probably works great as a DS game, but if you spent all day tilling the land, only to know that at, light, at night you've got to go back into you that same You can be friends with the motherfucking dragon. And it eats campo. <laughs> well, I, I have no response for that, so... Yeah. So I think I'm fine. Alright, big dog. <laughs> Uh, let's see. I, where would I like to live? Maybe just like Animal Crossing or something? Yes. The world of Animal Crossing? I can get behind that. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess when I'm thinking about game worlds, even the ones that are like so amazingly beautiful or whatever, I guess there's just like so much inherent danger in them. And I suppose like, that's how they work, isn't it? That's sort of a weird <laughs> that's, Yeah, I mean, that that's the risk you run. I mean, in any sort of video game where there is a combat mechanic, there's going to be a clear and present danger that is either on, you know, a level-by-level basis or on, like, a whole-world basis. Because, I mean, I was thinking about other game worlds. I was thinking about, like, the Bionis from Xenoblade Chronicles. That would be a weird place to live. It would be, like, the visual beauty of it Mm. and the scope of it. I mean, I can't imagine not being in awe if you lived in such a world. But at the same time, you have robots with faces coming to kill you on a regular basis and blowing up your city. So, you gotta take the rough with the smooth, haven't you? What? You gotta take the rough with the smooth, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> um. 
So I, I don't know. I guess I'm kind of with Toast in thinking about like Harvest Moon, like those worlds would be nice. And Animal Crossing, just because what could possibly be better than having neighbors that are just giant friendly animals who give you furniture just because you deliver a letter for them or something? Definitely. Flip, flip that on its head. What if you lived in the world of Democracy 3 or Tropico 5 and you uh, got to be a ruler and or bloodthirsty dictator? Those worlds seem overrated. I'm not going to lie. Ruling over anything is overrated. As a game, games, yeah, I'm not really fussed. But if I wanted to live in the world, you know, where, where I get the power to make those decisions, yeah, I'm about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's just because you are the embodiment of, like, Machiavelli's The Prince. Careful what you say. Someday soon I could be raising your... (laughs) (laughs) That's a bit of a claim, though, to say I'm the embodiment of The Prince. (laughs) Do you deny it? No, I don't, but I do stop to contemplate. (laughs) Because he he goes to... is in that book. Like, obviously, because it's fucking 16th century <laughs> killing and, and destroying everyone else, but still. That's kind of your MO, isn't it? Guilty as charged. <laughs> Maybe I should change my Discord. Maybe I should be Prince. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what? Cut. Uh, Katamari would be an interesting. Oh one. yeah, because like you're I'm never in, sure. you're never in any actual danger with Katamari. I mean, the worst that happens is you become a star in the sky. Yeah, seems all right in my books. Nobody ever seems terribly concerned about getting rolled up in a Katamari. I mean, they run yeah. away from you, but once they're a part of the ball, then oh, they're pretty into but- it. You'd have to live in a world where you have the single most embarrassing dad. Most embarrassing... Oh, dad? Yeah. Those tights, <laughs> man. Fucking hell. Imagine having that drop you off. I would enjoy it immensely. I mean, it would basically just be like having David Bowie as a dad, right? Yeah. Yeah, and exactly the same. I, hmm. I would never complain about that. I'm trying to think if there are any other good worlds worth living in. I'm just looking at my shelf. You yeah, know, me too. I think before... living like in in like Pokemon or Shin Megami Tensei, the idea of having your own like little personal pet art. Oh yeah, I I could do Pokemon because usually there isn't huge risk involved there. I mean, the Pokemon are just kind of fighting each other. I mean, that comes with its own set of ethical quandaries but everybody seems pretty okay with the state of things yeah but they say things like don't forget to take a potion if your pokemon is at like below half health and it's just like i don't want to live in a world where people talk to me (laughs) (laughs) and that's why smt would be better one because it doesn't hold your hand and two because if you don't want to give a fuck about the ethics, you don't have to give a fuck about the ethics. <laughs> yeah, I said it. Um, 
that's what I was going to ask because you guys have both got switches. What do you guys think about the new Pokemon? I haven't I played it. I didn't buy it. My one of my best friends has it, and he seems to be enjoying it. Okay. I don't like uh, Pokemon very much. Oh. Yeah, I don't. I love Squirtle and I love Mew, but I'm not really. To, I. It's just too basic. Like it's too simple, and like, people, like I don't feel like I'm a part of an engaging world. I feel like I'm running around in a brain bed and kind of like just being brain dead on like. Everything. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty mad on it myself, but that's because I've never really played one. Um. I think I mentioned to you guys before, I'm not sure if it was on the podcast, I have got Soul Silver with a Pokewall. So Yeah, you point, mentioned. I'm going to give it another go at some point. But uh, it's pretty cool because the, the Pokewalker died. And when I put a new battery in, it turns out there's um, What's the name of the, the Pokemon that's a bird with a fucking piece of celery? Oh, Farfetch'd. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Also, I've isn't it a leak? I don't think it's Yeah, it's a leak, by the way. You uncultured slime. It's green and a vegetable, they're all the fucking same. Well, I mean, it's green at, like, the tip, but it's mostly white, I'm pretty sure. There's a joke in that somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, let's just move, let's let's keep going. <laughs> It'd be disgusting, but hey. <laughs> Go and see a doctor if that sounds like... Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm um, looking through my list of completions and trying to see if there's any possible place, any other possible place besides like Animal Crossing where I would like to live. Um, um, coming up pretty short rapture here. Sure, before it went to hell. <laughs> would you live in the Phoenix Wright world? No, please, no. no. No, their their judicial system is way too I messed up. You're yeah, I could not cross that. I'm trying to think myself. I'm not sure where else. Well, there is the opposite side of the question, which is where would you absolutely not want to live? Most of them. Most of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's sort of the thing. But, like, what would, be, what would be the worst world to live in? This guy, I think. Those games have worlds that... To actually live in with fucking hell. Well, yeah, because it's all stacked where, like, the king and everybody else, like, doesn't... Like, the king has all the power. Yeah, that's my point. So unless you unless you happen to be the king in that world, pretty solipsistic, chances in are you're going to be living a shitty life. In the fifth one, they literally have raised the undead to be their servant. <laughs> Just, like, holy, you can't even have, like, rest after you die. You're still a slave. Spoiler alert. It's God. literally in the first two minutes of the game, right? <laughs> right, what if I wanted to experience those first two minutes fresh? It never actually tells you. <laughs> I'll tell you where else I wouldn't live. The world of resistance. That would be a pretty bad one, yeah. Mm. Or pretty much any like zombie game, actually. Yeah. I I think of all zombie games, I would probably be most comfortable living in, like, a Dead Rising-esque world. Yeah, somewhere it's campy and the other sort of in your... Yeah, you can use a lawnmower and the, the mow them down like grass. I feel like that's a series that I'd just get so bored quickly. I feel like the novelty would wear off so quickly. I feel like <laughs> the Sonic universe would be 
abysmal just because oh. like I know I just finished saying that I would love to be surrounded by anthropomorphic animals but not those anthropomorphic animals would you not want to sort of live with real life friends <laughs> would that not be like your childhood dream come true I mean I I stare enough into the abyss that I don't want the abyss staring back Jesus. <laughs> Give him a blindfold. <laughs> Just <laughs> so it's not it's not bad enough that I have to live in this deviant art ass world, but I also have to be blind. Speaking of, have you guys seen the the Dorkly Sonic the Hedgehog and um the recent Logan film Stroke Old What? What? Oh, that's recommendation number five right now. No! Wow, fuck you. Stop! <laughs> it, there's a YouTube channel called... I do, like, um, a load of skits where it's, like, reanimated sort of pixel characters from old games. So, like, they've got a series, for example, Bowser dates with different characters. Um, they've got series where it's, like, what if um, game characters were delivered the wrong power-ups? So where like Sonic's running with Ramwood from Contra, and it's all pretty lowbrow comedy. But they've got like a an <laughs> ongoing. You might know actually the most famous for the Pokemon. If any of you, the Pokemon what? Oh, that's recommendation five. No. <laughs> well, no, I just can't hear you. I think I know what you're talking about. I just can't hear. Pokemon Rusty. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah, oh, there you go then. Um, that, that's sort of the thing they're most well-known for. It's like a send-up of the Pokemon universe and all the works of that one. Um, and they've done sort of a series recently where it's um, Old Man Sonic. So the Old Man <laughs> Logan cartoons that the, the most recent Logan film was based on, those, but if instead of Wolverine, it was Sonic, and he don't run fast, no. <laughs> um... It is fucked up and hilarious at the same time. And I actually think you would love it. <laughs> you know what? It might not end up in... But I do want to sort of hear a live reaction. Get I'll stream it. I'll stream my reaction video of me watching Old Man Sonic. What an interesting world we live in. <laughs> but a better world than most video game worlds, I think we can agree. That's a nice title. Segway. Like <laughs> I'm coming for your. Uh, I'm coming for your Segway King title, Rick. You won't catch me on these two wheels. Hey, uh, get it? Segway reference. And with that, I think <laughs> we can finally segue to the end of this horrible charade. Oh, thank God. But I think considering the fact of our technical difficulties, the fact that we began about an hour after when we said we would, all of the cutting out and cutting back in, Rick having to redo his monologue about Kirby Mass Attack three times in a row, despite this, I think we've come to a satisfactory conclusion. And with that, I bid you adieu. Wish me looking at editing this pot there. <laughs> oh, yeah.